Hello, Mike Pedito. Hello, Scott. How are you? Doing really well. Thank you so much for coming on the Hiring Great Talent uh, podcast. First and foremost, just wanted you to um, introduce you, yourself a little bit, talk a little bit about your, your background and experience. Sure. I am someone who has been in talent acquisition now for a long time. Originally pulled by you right, to come be a recruiter at OpenArc as a giant career shift for me almost a decade ago at this point. Um, and since then, I've bounced around to a few different companies, uh, mostly in the startup world, uh, helping everything from setting up processes at companies that really have nothing in place yet, um, building out some outsourcing um, facilities for companies and setting up kind of internship programs and, and just helping these smaller companies grow. And then since then, have really started to take on a bit of coaching and career guidance and some things like that as well, um, because I've just learned a lot. And I think I have a lot to kind of give to people. And you know, from being in this, that hiring is full of bad information from a lot of people who aren't really there day to day. So it's become a very kind of big passion of mine to try and fight as much of it as possible. Absolutely. I appreciate the shout out, uh, recognizing that you would be um, good at this. And that's really all it was, like just knowing that you were always very good at having conversations with people um, and that kind of innate desire to help. You kind of mentioned uh, there that there's like bad advice out there. What's some of the, the common bad advice or the, or the, the major ones you really want to kind of put it into? Yeah, there's unlimited numbers of unlimited pieces of bad advice. Um, the one that boils my blood the most, um, I posted about on LinkedIn today. Uh, if you follow me on TikTok, you'll see that like it's one out of every like four videos I make at this point is this trend right now where people are being told to skip applying to the job. Um, the job market is, as most people involved know, very bad right now. It's oversaturated. There aren't enough jobs for people. And everyone's looking for a leg up. And a lot of people who aren't really involved in hiring, but have done a good job of establishing themselves as a voice, um, give advice like, instead of applying for the job, message the hiring manager, or instead of applying for the job, do this. And the, the point I constantly try and get people to make is you can do all of that. Uh, you can message a hiring manager, you can go around, you can try all these other things to get attention, that's all fine. But you have to apply to the job. I can tell you as someone who has been hiring very recently uh, at startup companies that used to only get 10 applications when we opened a role. It was all about us going to find people. Now, when a startup company you've never heard of opens a role, they get 500 applications that day. Um, and of that 500, I get 200 emails from people uh, reaching out about the job. So it's very unlikely your email is going to be read or noticed. And if you've never applied, your resume is not in the system and, and it's not going to get seen there either. Um, so it's very dangerous, but it's catchy because people want to find the workaround. People want a magic fix. Uh, and what I focus most of my time on is that there is no like magic fix to hiring. There's no answer to this. It's just doing the right things until something sticks. Yeah, as someone that's in talent acquisition in companies, I'm sure you've got plenty of those reach outs, plenty of those direct emails, plenty of those LinkedIn uh, messages. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like a lot of those circumstances, you also have an applicant tracking system that, that's going to be in place. So I think at a minimum, you know, it's, it's not a one or the other, right? It's like, no matter what, make sure you apply. And then you can all do all these kind of tricky things or, or, or right. to on top of that. Yeah, that's exactly the point. And you'll see a lot of videos and it's, it's right. I'm, I'm going to reference TikTok a lot because that's where I spend a lot of this time. Speaking which, what's your, what's your TikTok handle? My TikTok handle is at Realistic Recruiting. Uh, you can find all of my, my links in there if you go there. Um, but uh, there is, it's, you know, in TikTok, it's very easy to find the right hook or find the right way that like if you get people watching your video for more than three seconds, they're going to watch the rest. And it's very easy to build a following. So you'll see a lot of people with 500,000 followers who are labeled career coaches. Um, but what they've done is sort of gotten two jobs in their career, but they've never actually been in the room where hiring happens. Uh, and it makes a very big difference. Um, yeah. And what they don't understand is that like they may have gotten a job by reaching out to somebody and it worked. And I know people have hired that way. I know that it can work, but it is more unlikely that it won't work. So you need to be in that applicant tracking system. Your resume does need to be in. Uh, I made this video when I first got on there 
it was like my first day on there. And the first thing I saw was people pitching this advice and my mind was blown. I was like, is this what's happening on here? So I, I stitched with this video that was just like, look at this. I had just come off of a job search. I'd been laid off in November. I was unemployed for 105 days. And I showed my dozens and dozens and dozens of emails that I sent to hiring managers and recruiters that were never opened, never read, never responded. And I got interviews at some of those companies because I was in the system and they found my resume and they still interviewed me, but they never saw my message because they had hundreds of them. Uh, and it was just such dangerous advice to tell people to not apply to a job. Yeah. So you heard it. You heard it here from Mr. Perdido. Always, always, always apply. You can do things on top of that, but you know, don't listen to anyone who's telling you not to put your resume into the system. And yeah. any other any other pieces of bad advice out there you've been seeing on on TikTok or, or anywhere else? Um, I mean, so that's the most dangerous to me. Uh, here's one that's going around, and people all have different views of this, um, but a very hot topic on on TikTok and town acquisition, LinkedIn, and anywhere you go right now is the final question of an interview. Um, there's a big trend right now of a lot of people saying, here's the question to ask that'll get you a job, uh, which first of all, there's never an anything that causes anything when it comes to job, uh, job searching. You know, I always say like, you did X and you got the job. You didn't get the job because you did X. And it's a very big difference. So this big trend right now is to say as a final question, it comes from the sales world, do you have any hesitations about me as a candidate, uh, as like the final question? And a lot of people love it. But the thing is, every recruiter and hiring manager and people involved in interviewing don't love it, except for maybe in like sales positions, right? There are going to be places where they don't. But that's another one of those situations where people say, well, I asked this and it got me the job. And mm -hmm. you don't know that. You don't know that that's what got you the job. It didn't cost you the job uh, <laughs> is, is what happened. Um, but, you know, if you talk to a lot of people in hiring, they will tell you the question's off-putting. For one, it focuses on the negative. It's asking the interview to end on a negative instead of a final pitch for yourself, um, which by itself is a bad idea. Um, also, and it's, it would be the equivalent of after a first interview, if a recruiter were to say to you, if I offered you this job today, do you have any hesitations about taking it? Right? Like, of course you do. You need to sit on it. Yeah. It's the proper way, you know, if you need to find a middle ground here is at some point closer to the middle of the interview to say something along the lines of, is there anything at this point that I could clarify further uh, that maybe I didn't explain that well, any questions you sort of have about some of the things I've talked about? Uh, and that gives you the opportunity to turn it to a positive. But to end with that sort of gotcha question um, is very positively viewed by a lot of job seekers and by a lot of people like making content on the internet, but very negatively viewed by the people making the decisions. Uh, and I think people need to understand that risk a lot more. It, uh, yeah, I, I really liked your analogy of it's a, a, akin to a hiring manager asking a candidate at the end of an interview, is there anything that would stop you from accepting this position if offered? That's a lot of pressure to yeah. put on somebody in, in a conversation. It's a lot of pressure to, to put on the hiring manager for them to, to tell you the things they're not liking, especially at the end. What do you think about, you know, and maybe this is more because we're recruiters. I've always kind of liked this idea. If you're in like a talent acquisition space, kind of calling out the potential red flags they might see in you. You know, for instance, if like I were to be interviewing for like a recruiter position after I moved into to management, I might say something along the lines of like, I would think that if I were in your position, I would have this, um, I would have this concern about me. Here's, you know, how I would, would address it. Any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it can be done if done tactfully. I think the decision has to be, if you're going to do something like that, is this a question that is going to come up? Or am I raising something that might not matter? That's um, so that's a big thing. In, in a situation like that, the question's probably going to come up, why are you moving from a director back to a non-management role? It's a conversation that's so going to be you know for something. sure that it's going to be a concern. Don't yeah. create them when they don't have them. For sure. For me, for example, you know, over the last few years between the way startup worlds work and all the layoffs and everything else going on, right? All of a sudden my resume has become a bit more jumpy than it has been in the past. Um, most of my departures have a good explanation to them, but I have a resume that goes from like 10 years at a company to six years at a company to five months to 15 months to a few months. And 
I know that's going to be a question. So I do approach that, right? As, as I walk through that, I do say like, yeah, and I'm sure the question is going to be what what caused this to, to go so quick after so long. Um, I'm happy to, I give it to them though. I'm happy to dive into it. Or if you'd rather spend the time right now talking about something else, we can do that as well. They always want to dive into it, but like it's giving, it's giving them an out sometimes just to say like, Hey, I know the industry. There's a lot yeah. of people do. Um, and then maybe that's why that's more for people who are in recruiting, knowing that if we were seeing these specific things on uh, uh, someone we were interviewing, that those are the concerns that we have. And, and we're kind of are, are more about addressing that up front. We've talked a lot about bad advice out there. What's some of the advice you really want to get across to people who, who are in the search? Like good advice, things, things to do. Yeah. So I essentially have like five things that I say to always keep in mind. Good advice is tough because good advice when it comes to job searching is sort of accepting that like there is no perfect advice. Um, and that's that's sort of like the general one rule there is if you're looking for like the magic trick to get a job, it doesn't work like that. So the, the classic advice stays, right? A, a great resume is always gonna be your best tool. And I do talk a lot about, about resumes and I work with a lot of people on their resumes and. You know, when 2000 people apply, are there going to be good resumes that just don't get seen and move on? Yes, that's unfortunately how the market is right now. But a great resume is always going to be a first thing. But, uh, you know, it's accepting there's no universal rule. It can be as simple as one person says one page resumes only and one says two page resumes only. And neither of them are wrong. All uh, right. It, it's, the, it's just what they're doing. The other is understanding anecdotal evidence is just anecdotal evidence. And that goes back to what I talked about with. Um, the in-mails. Uh, understand like just because someone tells you something that they did doesn't mean drop what you're doing and change your approach and go do it another way. The other ties to it, understanding not everyone knows what they're talking about and everything. I think we have a, we, we have a kind of knack in this world of all becoming experts on everything uh, immediately. Um, so understanding where your advice is coming from. And then a big one, a big two I like to focus on is one, you have to accept failure is inevitable. Um, you know, the first video I ever went viral with on TikTok was like the most depressing data in the world that I was giving off of this like recent compilation of data that basically says 2% of candidates get interviews uh, when they apply to a job. That's such a small number. Like the average person's getting 2% of interviews. On my last job search, I, I track all data and I share this with people constantly. I got interviews at 10% of the jobs I applied to. Now, I'm someone who, if there are tricks and tips and magic and everything you can do, should know it all. Uh, and I only got 10% of interviews in the places I applied. And then of those, I got rejected, all of them, except for one job. Um, so you have to accept the failure um, and understand that like you're not just like messing up constantly. And then you have to understand, this was a lot, I guess, but that there is no such thing as most qualified. We have a knack, and I did this a lot in the job search. If I didn't get a job, uh, I was second or third place. I would wait for the new person to start. And I would like see, you know, I'd, I'd go to the company page. I'd see who'd start and I'd compare myself to them. And you can't do that. Um, there's, there's no way to know. You know, there's a best candidate for a company at a time. But like most qualified doesn't mean most years of experience. It doesn't mean most this or most that. Um, right? It's this combination that you can't really catch what it is. Um, so it's another thing you just have to accept and sort of drop that idea of like, oh, they hired someone less qualified than me. Um, that will tank you on a job search. A couple things I wanted to un unpack there. Um, you know, I like what you said about like, you know, kind of get comfortable with the fact that things aren't going to work out. Um, but I, I don't know that he, for, for you or anybody else, I would, would call it a failure, you know, especially if you are, you know, getting it, getting in the process, getting it. It's just part of it. Not, uh, not everybody gets the job. You know, if you have one job open, you can have multiple qualified candidates, you know, quote unquote, qualified candidates interviewing for, for the position. And, you know, there are so many different reasons why one candidate might get chosen uh, over another, that, it, that it's not a failure. It's, you know, it's, it's an experience and, and very much part of the process. Additionally, uh, you know, I know you experienced this at OpenArc, and I imagine you experienced this um, in, in your other roles since. Hiring managers aren't perfect either. They make mistakes. They mm -hmm. hire the wrong candidate, and then some come come back to the right candidate that you know we're not always right either, but that we felt was the was the best candidate. 
for them. And, and, you know, so just because, you know, this person doesn't select you doesn't even necessarily mean that was the right choice. They're human beings as well and are making the best decisions they can with the, with the information they have available. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something I've talked a lot about in videos too, is like, um, you are right. You know, maybe failure is the wrong word because you're not necessarily doing it wrong. Um, but I think I used failure because sure. if you're unemployed and looking for a job, very much you know, none of that pays your bills until you get the job. So it's, you know, it's ultimately the only success is getting a job uh, when you're on the job search. But there are things that aren't bad that have happened. So that's just true. And yeah, everyone makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And I do think that this comes on both ends. And I get this a lot on TikTok because, you know, I often am on there representing the side of a company, but on the behalf of trying to help a candidate, which is, I think, is like a weird stance people think of, um, right? I'm not here to make videos about like how it should be, is what I always say. Like, you can come in my comments, we can argue all day on live, whatever you want to do about like how it should be and how the world would be more perfect and all this could work. But people need a job now. So let's talk about how it just is and how to kind of navigate this. Um, and if you want to lead the revolution that changes how everything is down the line for the future generations, that is amazing. But right now, people still need a job. Um, so we're going to focus on that. Um, and that's part of it is accepting that, like, yeah, these companies aren't perfect. There's there's no such thing as a perfect hiring process, just like there's no perfect candidate. Um, you know, I've done so many different types of interview processes and I can say, OK, on this technical interview, we're going to give you a live coding assignment with one of our developers. And half of the people are going to hate that and say it's a terrible idea. And I can say, fine, there's a take home assignment. And half of the people are going to hate that and say it's a terrible idea. OK, we're going to do a textbook test. Everyone hates that too. Um, like there's no perfect way to do it. So companies make a decision that feels right for them to try and find the best value move for them. Um, and they can't please everyone. And just like a candidate can't please every company either. And I, uh, I think sometimes, and I get it, I think job candidates sometimes forget the like human element of the company side. Yeah. That a company can be a giant conglomerate, but it is also still full of people. Like there's still me. Uh, on the other end, just trying to make it work. You're absolutely right. Like, you know, and, and to your point about all the advice being out there, like a lot of the kind of advice you see is, you know, it, it, and I understand where it comes from for sure, but it's can be like anti-employer and, you know, they're, they're these faceless, you know, organizations that just want to like screw over the, the, the people coming on board. But like, you know, being on the sides that we've been on, like, they're humans too, and that's their job, and they're just trying to to do their job and the best of their ability. And in this market, in in talent acquisition, um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of fear out there. I mean, you've you've been on both ends, right? Where you've been on the the talent acquisition side, you know, you're looking for positions. What what's your perception of the market from kind of both angles? The market is hard right now. And that's what maybe even kind of start this TikTok is there's so much going on and nobody knows how to handle it um, on all ends. Um, from the candidate or from the client side and the company side, uh, I had this video that I posted on a Sunday night where I made a mistake of logging into my ATS system just to look at like what I had coming up. You've seen that one. And uh, I had like 500 applicants for every job we had that came in over the weekend. And I was like, these are my Sunday scaries. And I think I've been said in that, like when you think there's just like some machine on the other end, when it's like us versus them, I'm that. Like I'm who's here trying to just like sort this. And that's, that's hard. And I don't think candidates know that, but I get why they don't care either because they're unemployed and they're frustrated and they're sending in applications by the dozens and by the hundreds and not hearing back. And as a candidate myself, I know these things. So I find myself like able to be more patient with it and, and understand it, but I get why people can't. Um, so that's where I've sort of tried to find this like merging of like, hey, I do get it. I've been on this with you. Like I just went through it. There's no fix. And, and that's what I always go back to. Like people are just like, I'm sick of hearing ideas. I don't know how to fix it. And I'll just tell them, we can't. It's just, you can't. And I can't, uh, I don't know how to change the world. I'm just one person here uh, with some advice on what it's like. Follow it or don't, take it or leave it. That's all okay. 
Um, but I want you to understand just sort of like, here's what it's like on all sides and the best things to try to navigate it. Um, but it's hard. It's, it's so frustrating uh, being a candidate right now. What, what did you do? You know, I remember seeing that TikTok and there were, I think you had four or five positions open and there were one to 200. How, how do you get through that workload? You know, I don't know that there's a perfect answer. It's, it's the time that you have to start to go through it. It's depending on roles, right? Are there things where there's an absolute must? Um, you know, if I'm coming from a company, if, if we're talking about a SaaS sales background and I got 200 resumes, I'm going to check who's been selling software as a service before I even like look at other things. Um, so sometimes you can narrow it down, but honestly, it's a matter of just going through it. Uh, for myself personally, I uh, can quickly gauge. There's, there's this stat out there and people misinterpret it. This is like a recruiter spends an average of like six or seven seconds looking at your resume. And I think that gives people the wrong idea. Uh, it doesn't mean that's the, all we spend, but it's an average because from my experience, I can look at a resume for a specific role that I know and put you into one of three piles pretty quickly. Like an absolutely yes, I see exactly what I need really quickly. Uh, absolutely not. I can just tell that just like something big is missing here or I'm not sure, let's spend further on it. Um, so that six second average comes because there's, there's a lot of absolutely not. So I'm just like, it's not the right background. I can just tell. Uh, move on. There's a lot of absolutely yeses, and I'm going to move them to an interview stage and spend more time looking at their resume. But for now, I don't need to sit and memorize their resume. Um, and then people I'm going to dig in further on just to sort of like pull up the companies on LinkedIn or dig in, just see what like some of this is to make sure I'm not making a rash judgment. And I set up interviews with people that are yeses and continue filtering resumes as you can. And that's why I said there's a lot of bad luck sometimes. You know, it's an, when 500 people apply, even if 400 are qualified, we can't interview all 400. We just can't. So there's a lot of bad luck sometimes. There just is. If I found 20 that I liked, and that's what we said, but we can hire out of that 20, like, you don't want me to keep interviewing you as a candidate. You don't want me to just interview every single person, even yeah, though take, we know who we're It would take six months to, to right. get through. And then obviously yeah. the people that were good that you interviewed in January would not be available by the time you made the decision. I think it really highlights um, kind of your, your, your big push out there, which is how important the resume is. Because mm -hmm. if, if, if someone in talent acquisition, if a hiring manager across the board is not seeing what they need to see in the resume, the, the likelihood of it, of it moving forward is, is pretty low. Um, you know, a piece of advice I've always offered very much in line with that is, you know, you should tailor your resume as much as possible for every opportunity that you're going for. And the job description, a lot of times will be pretty clear about what the most important thing is, what the must have is. And if you don't have that highlighted on your resume, even if you're the perfect candidate for the job, it's not likely to, to, to pass that six second smell test. Yeah, there's a lot of back and forth about that. Uh, the the making your resume tailored for every role. And a lot of people don't want to do it because they're burned out it's and they're like, I'm not going to get an interview anyway. And I totally yeah. get it. And what I always usually tell people is like, you don't always have to. They're sort of families of jobs. So for me, for example, I have a good resume. It's, it's two pages. It's full of my experience. It is full of data and results and sort of the, the areas I've worked in. Um, and I know the jobs I'm applying to and that I have what I need in this resume for those jobs to stand out um, now. So I don't have to change it every time. But there might be a job where they work in a specific industry where there's a specific knowledge or thing in that job description. I'm saying, OK, that's not in my resume, but I do it. So I'm going to add it for this one. Um, but in general, I don't think you have to change we it. We are recording now, just so you know. So you might end up on the Internet if you come say hi. Hi, Kara. <laughs> We're posting you gonna be on the internet with us. No. You gonna be on the internet with us? No. Well, you, no. You, there's a potential. Just, no, there's there's a potential now. This I is very watchable. Hi. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that might be another one of those things that's you know, when you when you're in talent acquisition in some way, you know, we kind of intrinsically other understand this. So you know, I think your resume over time you you know what to include on there what what's not but mm -hmm. how many times have you seen at least working on the the contingency side but, but maybe in, in other ones as well the person has the experience but it's just not highlighted very well or, or just not listed and you know if the hiring manager doesn't see this 
they're going to pass. And that's, that's, yeah. that's when I'll make that recommendation. I'll be like, listen, I know I can see this because I'm actually spending the time talking to you and we, you know, going into this. You, I believe you can do whatever it is, .NET development, you know, agile project management. But I only see agile on your resume one time, and that might not be enough instances of it. That not be enough highlight to to get it in for this agile Scrum project management position and you know technology focused. Yeah, yeah, and that's where it comes down to having like a really good resume. If you have a good strong resume, then you probably don't have to alter it every time. If your resume is not that great. Or the other thing I would say is if you are one of these people who operates in like a career gray area where you're sort of an office admin and you're sort of marketing and you've sort of done some sales and like we've all had roles like this in our life. And now you're kind of going after some sales roles and some marketing roles and some admin roles. You're going to need to tailor resumes. You're going to need resumes that highlight what matters for each of those jobs um, rather than this one universal resume. But if you are a 10 year veteran software engineer, you probably have the things in your resume at this point that like matter for the next job, or you need a better resume. But if you have a good resume, you probably don't have to change it specifically for every single role you're applying to. So it comes down to that great base resume. And if you're in that same family of jobs every time, you're probably okay, but be open to making some changes now and then. And now with AI. Yeah, right. Yeah. I would talk talk about that because I've I've been finding a a lot of the aspects of, of AI in the in the career space and in the, in, in the talent space to, to be very, very interesting. What are some of the things that like you've seen or, or, or maybe even using? Yeah, so I'm really torn here. Me too. Now, there are two sides to this. There is me, the talent acquisition professional, who knows that nobody can outright me on a resume. Uh, I shouldn't say nobody, but knows that a computer cannot outright me. I know that I can make a better resume for myself than AI can make, no matter how many prompts I feed into it. And I've experimented and I've tried and I've brought them over and over again to other resumes. Have you done like the whole job description and your resume? I've I've added prompts to job descriptions and saying, add some data, look at my LinkedIn and and add this. And it never comes out better than what I write. Um, But I know I'm unique and that's not going to be for everybody. A lot of people don't even know how to get started on a resume. So I do think it can be very helpful as a starting point if people are going to use ChatGPT or something like that to write their resume. But I think you have to spend the time to fix it from there. I, I don't think it's ever going to perform. It reads like a computer wrote it. It reads too gimmicky. Um, it just it doesn't work that well. Um, now, there are good tools. Full disclosure, I do have a contract with this company, Teal, um, that uses like AI to make resumes and and, and, uh, job trackers and some really cool tools that are free for people. They're a little bit more specific. What they will actually do is um, take a job description, you put it into the tracker, it'll highlight all the keywords for you in in there. Uh, It'll compare it to your resume. It'll show you what keywords are there that are not in your resume and sort of give you this like general score from there. And then you can add bullet points based off of the, the, the keywords it's showing you into your resume. You can write them yourself or have AI do it. I prefer to write it myself, but other people will have AI do it. Um, it can also write you an AI cover letter and it can then autofill the application for you uh, online. So like the autofill of the application is very nice. Yeah, uh, that's a little bit earlier. Check it beforehand, but yes, you need to check it. It won't fill out everything. Uh, it only take the information that's on your resume. So if it asks, so sometimes like there's just random fields, or like um, when it asks for your pronouns or things like that, it won't fill those in. But it'll take like your name, phone number, email address. It can put it all in there for you. If there's like, why are you excited about this position? You could have AI write it for you right there. Again. I don't necessarily recommend always having AI do that, but it's there to make it for people who are just sick of this, be able to do it much quicker. I mean, I, I love the, the application fill out aspect. And from a resume perspective, it seems like you would probably say, and don't let me put words in your mouth, that it still could be a good tool for a baseline resume. And then, but you, you very much don't want to rely entirely on that. Like it can get you, it can get you started and, and, and maybe mm-hmm. over there. certainly better than the, the word, uh, here's your resume doc. It's yes. more far away from those templates. Um, if you just put your, um, like the job description in ChatGPT and say, write me a resume, I'm going to know. Now, I'm not going to know you use ChatGPT specifically. I might, but like, uh, it's specifically not going to tell me that, but like, it's not going to be a good resume. It's going to read very generic. 
the best resumes are super specific to you. And ChatGPT can't do that for you, but it can help you get there and it can make suggestions for you uh, and give you this sort of baseline to be started from. Um, but it won't just like go learn everything about you in the time you need a resume and write a perfect resume for you either. Anything else AI related? That's, I mean, th that's where everyone's using it. Here's another thing people are using AI for that I actually think works really well. Um, someone pointed this out to me and I played with it. It was actually re really cool. Uh, if you go to ChatGPT, you can ask it questions like, I'm interviewing for a senior product manager at a SaaS company, uh, pose as my manager, and what are the five questions you're going to ask me? Um, now, again, this is not 100% accurate. You don't know what a manager is going to ask you, but like, I have heard the best success on ChatGPT coming really from like uh, interview prep or just learning about it. Uh, I used it a lot when I was searching before last uh, over like the winter and fall. Um, I interviewed at a lot of companies that aren't really up my alley, um, things I don't know a ton about and like the, the crypto world and things like that, because that's where a lot of hiring is happening. And when you're not working, you will certainly look at industries you never really expected to look at. Um, and I would just take questions and like just ask it, like, explain this to me. And then if they didn't know what I'd be like, explain this term to me like I'm 10, <laughs> um, you know, and, and you can ask it to do things like that. And, and I learned enough. Um, and then I would say like, give me some talking points to someone who's not familiar with this space to talk about these things. And it would give me some talking points. And again, don't read it like a script, but it was just this getting started point where like, instead of me having to read 15 different articles to learn all this information, it was just there for me. No, I, I love that. I love the idea. Like, even if those questions aren't 100% accurate in terms of what you're going to be asked, it'll get you thinking mm -hmm. in that direction. And it'll probably hit on at least a couple of the topics yeah. that they're, they're, they're going to bring up to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, in AI and, and what it's going to mean, you know, for, for our industry writ large, um, you know, specifically as it focuses in technology um, as well. You know, I, I, I always say yet when it comes to AI, you and I even had a conversation earlier today about your AI avatar. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, like, well, you want to have that on here? You're like, it doesn't move. And I was like, yet, doesn't move yeah. yet. Pretty soon there's going to be, there's going to be, you know, I, I, I worry eventually it's just going to be AI hiring managers and AI candidates just interviewing each other. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad for photographers because like where I, this is all even coming from is I paid $19 to this website where I sent them 10 photos of me and it gave me a hundred headshots. Now, 85 of them were awful, but 15 of them were usable. Five of them I use. One is my LinkedIn profile picture. One is my realistic recruiting profile picture. And no one's ever said that's not you. I knew so something like, was off for, for, to be fair. I was like, there's, there's something different here, but it's not perfect, but it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it works enough especially like just as like a LinkedIn photo, like here's me in this, you know, in a suit looking a little bit better uh, than my previous photos have been. But yeah, a lot of them are bad, but it's just something that, yeah, are we a year away from getting perfect photos uh, when you do something like that? So I wanted to hit on a couple um, kind of, I don't know, hot takes or, or hot topics with you. Uh, just, just because especially I think you are really good at evaluating things from both like the hiring manager company perspective as well as the, the candidate salary conversations. Yeah. What are, where, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So this is another sort of dangerous thing where a lot of unqualified people have a lot of things to say. Uh, this is another one of those areas where people talk about how it should be, um, not how to deal with how it is. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about just talking salary, I've said this before and I'll say it over and over again, you are not better off as a candidate by avoiding the salary conversation. Uh, that very rarely goes your way. Uh, I understand the idea of being scared to sort of lowball yourself or undercut yourself before they, they give you some information. And you can have a back and forth conversation if you're having a good conversation on that first call. But you cannot be combative. You cannot be refusing to, to have this conversation because that's what steers things wrong. And when a piece of advice I see a lot of people give, um, again, from the not in the room where it happens people, is something along the lines of tell them i'm sure you have a budget for this role if you determine i'm the right person in this role you'll pay me at the the upper end of your budget because i'll have proven i'm qualified for the role and this is a perfect way 
to later get on the internet and complain that the offer was $20,000 less than you thought it was going to be when you refused to talk money with them. So I think it has to come up. I think you want to be broad enough. You, you're right. You don't want to undercut yourself. And companies will always have the advantage when it comes to market data, because there's only like four or five places that real market data is available uh, and companies have access to it. People don't. Glassdoor and LinkedIn, those numbers aren't real. Uh, they're not actual market data. So you never really have the data. But you can say, based on what I know about roles and where things are and where I've been in my career, you know, I'm hoping to be in this range. Is that a range that's within you? Uh, where you are. This is going to be a long-winded answer because I go into these things. So no, no, please. The other thing that I think people don't understand about salary from the candidate side, because they've never been on the company side, is how much goes into those decisions on the company side. It is not just a budget, which is what a lot of people say, uh, right? You are taking into account internal equity. Uh, and Can you expand on that a little bit, just what internal equity is? Yeah, internal equity is essentially what a team should be making, what people on this team are making, um, what they plan on, like what a level one, two and three make within a company um, and how you keep people in the company within those proper salary bands. So it is possible that one company pays better and has higher salary bands, and that's just how it is. It doesn't mean the other company is trying to lowball you. Uh, that's where people are. And it, it's the same that when you work at a company, if you're making $75,000 a year as a level two support admin, you don't want another level two support admin to come in making $90,000 a year, right? There's going to be a general range of what L2 support admins make. And then there's a range of what L3 makes when they get promoted or when someone comes in. So a lot of these conversations happen when companies, you know, companies are starting to post salary ranges. I love the idea of salary transparency, right? It is great. It is becoming a law in a lot of places. But everyone still has to understand that is an anticipated amount based on what the company generally pays of people in those roles, what they would anticipate paying people who come into there. It doesn't mean that's the set salary you're going to get. Um, and I don't think people understand sort of all that planning that goes into it sometimes. And they just say, oh, you're going to give me the biggest number or you only want to give me the lowest number. Well, internal equity became a big problem with, uh, with our clients over, uh, over COVID. Because when everything went remote, and by the way, remote is the other hot topic I want to touch on with you. Sure. Uh, when everything went remote, it had a significant effect on compensation because candidates now had the ability to, uh, you know, look for positions in a national marketplace. And some of the old adages no longer applied where it's like, you know, if you worked in one area of the country, this would be the kind of the salary for, for that area. And if you were New York City, you know, it was going to be higher. And if you were in some of the California areas or if you were in some rural it, it might be less. Um, and so, you know, what ended up happening is salaries across board went up and then companies ran into real problems, um, A, from an internal equity perspective where they could not bring on people for their level two, you know, support or whatever it happened to be for what their people were making. So they had to, A, figure out a way to, to expand those salary bands, B, start bumping up the equity of the, the compensation of the people that were in, in those current roles so they could not be outcompeted and, and, and taken away for, for other organizations. And it's, you know, again, you know, not to always be a company's advocate, but it, that's difficult to do. Like, you know, it's costing, you're costing more money for your current employees. It's costing more money um, for your hiring and, and you have to be able to figure those things out. What do you like? So what do you say? I like, I like what you said earlier in terms of like, you know, offering a range. I think it's 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 difficult to do, but I think one of the best things you can do salary-wise is really know yourself and what you, where you want to be at and communicate that as effectively as possible. And yes, sometimes that might mean what you're saying you want for the position is at the lower end of their salary band for that. And it maybe could feel like, oh, like maybe I didn't, you know, put my best foot forward or, or go for as much as I, I could have gotten. But, you know, maybe you're putting yourself in an advantageous position, getting the compensation that you want. And sometimes being at that lower end of the salary band gives you the opportunity for compensation growth over time. Yeah, I, I mean, it does. And, you know, I get it. Everyone wants the, the as much money as possible. I get it. Yeah. I do too, right? I'm not unique to that. I am. But yeah, there's, there's just so many factors going to play. And I don't think people realize, too, that companies who do a good job of building internal equity within a company, 
will keep you there too. So you're not going to necessarily undercut yourself. And I have examples. I prove I don't want to name drop any company or people, obviously, on this call. But you know, I know of a hire that I specifically made um, where this person was in a rural area and their salary requirements were low for what we expected to pay for this job and what we pay other people for this job. And we wound up offering way above the salary expectation they made. And it wasn't because we just like are nice people. We were nice people, but you know, we did it because that's the salary band for this role. That's the, the equity that people at this company have. So yes, I know that a lot of times in defending companies, you come off as just like anti-people and pro-companies and, and mm-hmm. I get it. Um, and ultimately uh, the company is the business and they have to profit and it's just like how it works. So, but you know, companies are not just out to screw everybody all the time. Are some sure? Do yes. some not live by their values? Yes. Absolutely. But you can't just treat all people working at all companies in that way. And that's something that I think is important for people to know. Um, and we all have bad experiences and a lot of people hopefully have good experiences. Um, but yeah, it's just so much goes into it. And, and the best approach is an honest conversation about it. Uh, you are likely to get an honest response back from them. You know, you can ask first, you can just say, do you have an anticipated salary band for this role based on what people in the role are currently making or based on what previous people have made in this role? And good recruiters and good companies will have that conversation with you, too. But it can't be combative. And I do think a lot of advice is just sort of about shutting down and like making it us versus them. And it's just like that's that's not good in any type of negotiation in any way, whether it's your salary or whatever in the business world. It's just not how you do a negotiation. Yeah, to your, what you said earlier when like you you were, you were talking about the, the question of like, oh, like they ask you a question like, oh, what is your salary band and expectations for this role? It's like, you know, that almost makes you think like, oh, is this what this person's going to be like for everything, not even just salary. Like when we're having conversations about like, what do you think? Well, what do you think we should do? And it's just like, you know, you had mentioned earlier, about, I forget which aspect it was about like avoiding contention in these conversations, being able to, to, to have be honest and upfront, but like, you know, if you're intentionally being contentious, it's it's not going to work out well for either side, if it's the, the, the hiring side or the person looking for the position. Yeah. And people will respond to this. And I know because I've had these conversations, right? And they will say, I'm interviewing them too. And yes, you are. Yeah. And you don't want them to be contentious back to you either though, right? right. It's, it's just sort of, it's the same idea. You want them to be honest with you about what they're expecting to pay for this role. So you be honest with them too. And could it screw you over sometimes? Yes. Could it do this? Yes. The answer is always yes. The answer to could this happen is always yes. Um, but it's a matter of you're going through these processes and the best results are generally going to come from honest and open conversations. On both ends. Absolutely. You know, this is not to let companies off the hook who are vague or, oh, our, our, our compensation is competitive. Well, yeah. what, is, what does that mean? Anything else on salary worth talking about? Good advice, bad advice you've heard out there? That's probably it for salary. But even just on that point, I think that um, this comes up a lot too. And people, I don't, if people hear this, they might have the same thoughts. I want to address it. Like people hear these conversations or they'll come into my comments or into my lives on TikTok or and have these conversations and they'll say things like, um, well, what about when companies do this? Or what about hiring managers who do it this way? And the answer is yes, that is wrong too. And I think something else people don't really know is how much work like an internal hiring team does on trying to prevent that on a company Mm -hmm. side too. You know, the difference when we're talking like here and we're talking about hiring from a candidate's perspective, or when I'm on TikTok giving career advice to candidates, I work with hiring managers too. I put together training programs. I talk about good ways to interview and anti-bias training and how to negotiate salary and keep candidates happy and deliver a good experience. But those managers aren't on TikTok looking for my videos, right? I'm having those conversations with them somewhere else. I'm here now in this conversation and on TikTok to talk about what we can do on the other end. Um, so I do think people need to know that sometimes like these conversations sound one-sided, like just candidates do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. But I understand stuff's happening on the back end too. That's just not where you are in this conversation. That's a good, that's a good point. That's, you know, so the, the, the name of the, the podcast is Hiring Great Talent. Uh, we've t- we focused a lot of advice on to, you know, candidates and people looking for positions. Um, what's some of the advice you wish uh, you wish hiring managers would hear and follow? As somebody who's looking for, as somebody who's looking for a job, <laughs> yeah, somebody who's currently on the market, <laughs> tell them how they should do it better. Yeah, I think 
the best hiring managers, the best recruiters, the best hiring managers, everyone in the process never loses sight of how difficult the job interview and job search process is. That's the best advice I can give, right? Um, I'm not going to dive into how to stay unbiased and things like this, like in like a few minutes on this podcast. But I think creating a good candidate experience is so much more than just the initial recruiter's job uh, or one peer's job. I think that a candidate experience is everything to thoughts about, have we thought about this interview process and what info we're going to give them about it and how much we're going to prepare them for each step and how much time we're going to expect of them and how we're going to sort of respect them during that time. And what are we going to do as an interviewer? You know, are we going to show up in the same sort of manner that we expect them to show up? Are we going to be multitasking uh, and typing on the other screen? And I start every interview sort of warning of that, like, hey, I want you to know, like, I have a habit of staring at my other monitor. I have your resume here, your portfolio here. I'm taking notes about you. Like when you're talking to me, I'm going to look like I'm doing everything in the world. Uh, but I promise I'm listening and I'm taking notes and like marking up your resume as we talk here. Um, and I just let them know that. And I think that managers need i think a lot of managers need to be reminded like making a candidate comfortable in an interview can have such a huge factor not just in them liking you wanting to work for you but in how they perform uh you know i think putting a candidate on edge is like every candidate's biggest fear and a lot of them shut down they're very nervous about interviewing i have this is the time i spend some of the most talking to people is like how to be less nervous in interviews and part of that is on us as the company to help you be less nervous during an interview. And and that's an attitude you're starting to see some managers take, but I think it's one that like a lot of people need to like really remember it. And I don't wish unemployment on anybody, but I do think a lot of people could learn a lot by like going through the current job search process um, for their role and then see how they act as a hiring manager afterwards. Honestly, that's a, that's a wonderful idea. If the hiring manager had to go through their own interview process, yeah, Before. and not just your own, but just try to get a job. Apply yeah. to these hundreds of opportunities and like see how you're being treated through it all. So yeah, I say, and, and you know, kind of a lot of what you're referencing, I, I generally refer to as like the candidate experience. Mm -hmm. And you know, my message to hiring managers out there, um, as someone who you know, we all could be looking for a job in the future, is you always want every candidate to have a good candidate experience, even if they are not the person that you hire for the position. Um, for any number of reasons, you know, they could talk to the candidate that you would want to hire for the position, but because they had an experience, they're not going to come to your company. It's just like, you know, the, the experience you give candidates speaks a lot more about your company and the, and the, the market writ large. It's not always about like, well, if I'm not going to hire them, what do I care what their experience is? No, providing a good experience to your point can actually help you identify the right candidate. But even if it isn't the right candidate, it, it, there, there's going to be so many benefits on, on for your company and being able to get the right candidates in going forward. And we spend a lot of time with that uh, on our clients, and we try to be a part of that candidate experience. Um, last thing I'll, I'll hit on you with, because I know you have strong opinions about this, um, is remote work. There's a lot of advice out there. There's a lot of different things going on there. Uh, remote work. What are your thoughts on remote work in general? What advice do you have for candidates, for, for companies? What, what, what do you want to say on that? I think we've hit a good spot where there are options now for everybody. Some people don't want to be remote and there are plenty of opportunities now to not be remote. Some people want to be hybrid and they exist. Some people want to be remote only and that exists. So we have the option now to make that choice. And so do companies and everyone making that choice understands the limits they're putting on themselves by doing that. If you're choosing to be a remote only candidate, you understand the limits. Uh, you know, if you're choosing to be an in-office only company, that's your choice, but you also understand the limits of where candidates are going to come from. So I think that's key. I think if you're going to choose to be a remote company, you have to commit to it. One of the biggest mistakes companies make is like being sort of remote. You know, like some people are remote and some aren't, or we're remote, but we haven't, you know, really figured it out. I've worked for a few fully remote companies and some like not fully remote companies at this point. And you can sense the difference. Um, you don't want a situation where you have like a meeting going on and there's like two people up on a screen and other people in the room and the meeting is discombobulated and other people are like six minutes behind. Um, that's hard. You need to figure out if you're going to be hybrid, having the day that people are there, 
and that everyone's there doing the work they need to be there for. Not just randomly one person's here one day, but then they're still on Zoom because everyone else is on Zoom. But you have to commit to the decision you're making and make it work for the company and figure out how. Um, and I think that's a mistake a lot of people make is they just want to be seen as like flexible in that way. But it just sort of gives employees a bad experience because of that. Um, for candidates themselves, I think you just have to decide and right, that's going to be it. I think if you're struggling to find a job, you know what you may have to do if you're looking remote only to, to find a bit, you know, to have more options. And if you don't want to, if you only want to work remote, that's fine. You just have to understand the competition. That video I posted that we referenced, which showed all the applications that came in, um, you know, a lot of comments are like, well, that's because you're remote only. And it's like, I know. Yeah, right. I know. More people are going to apply because we're remote only. The competition is tougher. More as people are just available for the position, as we kind of discussed earlier. There's, you know, if you don't put a geographical limitation, then you just have hundreds of thousands of more yeah. candidates potentially available for your position. Yeah. And candidates need to know that too. Um, they need to understand that there are more is more competition to get that job. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else remote wise that are, I think, I think you kind of hit, you know, it's similar to the salary conversation is it's just about clear upfront, honest communication on mm-hmm. both ends, right? If you're a hundred percent remote company and then, you know, then, you're, you know, it's not, well, we're a hundred percent remote, but on every other, every other Tuesday. Uh, you know, if you're, you need to be a hundred percent remote as a candidate, you need to be a hundred percent remote as a candidate, but just understand the, you know, the, the good and the bad associated with those things. And as long as both parties are clearly and honestly communicating, I think maybe that's the theme of this, uh, conversation. Um, uh, you know, the results are going to be better. Where can people reach you? I know you're, you know, out there on TikTok offering um, some advice. I believe you got a newsletter going. What are some of the things that uh, people should, should, you know, how, how, how can people find you? Yeah, so, so TikTok is the best place to find me. That is where I spend most of my time. That's realistic recruiting. My Instagram is the same, realistic recruiting, but I don't use it very much. Uh, it's basically just some videos I've downloaded from TikTok and put up every now and then that nobody watches over there. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn slash in slash mpedito. Uh, I make my LinkedIn profile, which a lot of job creators on TikTok and the internet do not do for various reasons. Um, but I want people to know I'm real and be able to verify the things I'm saying, my work history. So you can find me on there. I have a website, sort of. It's a weird address, but if you go to stan.store slash realistic recruiting. I'll get it uh, put up on the screen when we post Okay, it. perfect. <laughs> uh, so stan.store slash realistic recruiting. Okay. Um, is you'll find links to everywhere for me there. You can also sign up for my newsletter, which I'm just starting to roll out right now, once or twice a week, just really expanding on stuff I can really talk about in videos. There are options on there for people to do some coaching sessions with me as well, which is something I've recently gotten into since um, being on the job market and having some people ask for it. But ultimately, free advice is what I'm here to do. Um, and those are all options to get it. Perfect. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for uh, chatting with me for what I said was 30 minutes, but it was now almost uh, an hour here. I thought you booked an hour. I book I, every invite I said is always an hour, but I told you 30 I, minutes. I could have told you this wasn't going to take 30 minutes. We could probably do this once a, once a, a month, if not once a week. And, and, yeah. And just People kinda... ask me all the time on my TikTok, like, how do you keep having like stuff to say? I'm like, I don't know. Do you know me? Like, have you ever heard me get going on hiring? Like, I, I always have more to say. Yeah, I mean, there's we could go deeper on a lot of these topics. There's a there's a bunch of stuff we, we didn't even hit on, but I appreciate it. I appreciate your time, and I know we'll we'll talk again soon. All right, I appreciate it. Hang out on the line. Don't hang up. Okay, we'll get another countdown. <laughs>